this morning uh, we're going to continue in our letter to the Corinthians. I hope that you so far have felt some challenge from this, felt like you, you understand a little bit more about what's going on in the church in Corinth. Um, in the short sense, things are bad. <laughs> um, and there's going to be a lot for us to learn from this church. And this morning we're going to just go through another thing that they're struggling with, that they're going through and that Paul has to address. Uh, if you remember last week, we were talking about a, 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 talking about finding a church that was in disunity, um, that, that wasn't all united looking at Jesus. And we talked about the consequences in our lives if we were to do that. And the, and the other things in our lives that our gaze and our eyes and our hearts inevitably go on to if we're not keeping them on Jesus. So I want to say, uh, if you have missed the last two talks, you can catch up on our podcast stream uh, through through your iPhone or through SoundCloud. You can even go back and watch them on YouTube um, if you've missed any of them. And I would just encourage you to do that. As a church, we're going through this letter together. And I just encourage you to keep, keep together in this. Uh, but this morning, we're going to kind of cap off chapter one. Uh, by looking at one of the key things that Paul uh, talks about in this chapter. Um, and I'm going to open this up as we go. I've got some funny stories to share with you, but, but we're going to open this up together and just see what it is that Paul's saying and how that's going to apply to our lives. So 1 Corinthians, we're going to read from 18 to 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are, who are perishing, but to, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased though through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded signs and Greeks looked for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and the foolish, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So there's a lot to unpack in there. And, and as ever... Paul's words are kind of like a tongue twister, um, but we're going to unpack it together. So stay with me this morning. I want to start by telling you a story, actually. Uh, it's kind of well known. Um, um, uh, those who follow American football, uh, there's, a, there's a famous game all the way back in 1929. A man called Roy Regals, uh, he's playing in the Rose Bowl and he's playing uh, for the University of California. And there's this, what was so memorable about the game was this moment uh, in this complex game that would stick with Roy for the rest of his life. It was in the middle of this complicated play and, and he wound up, Roy ended up picking up this fumbled football and he snatched up the ball and he ran for 65 yards. Like it was incredible uh, until he was just stopped short of the goal line. He was just tackled short of the goal line. Roy Regals had a problem though. He ran the ball to the wrong goal line. He was running the wrong way. The, the fans were the wrong fans who were screaming and cheering. They were the opposition fans. And, and until his death in 1993, Roy would be known as wrong way Regals. I mean, the poor guy, that one moment for the rest of his life. And why am I telling you this story? Well, 
Because the same thing can happen in church, actually. It can also happen if you're a Christian. If you don't keep your eyes on the goal that Jesus sets out for us, we can inadvertently uh, spend an incredible amount of energy helping the wrong side without realizing it. And Corinth had fallen into this category. It fallen into this trap. So what was happening here? What do I mean by they'd fallen into a trap? Well, since Paul had planted this church in Corinth, that congregation had gradually deteriorated into this arrogant, wrong-headed, squabbling community. And it was on the verge of losing its testimony as, as a God-glorifying local community of Jesus. They had gotten to a point of, of bragging about incidental things like who would baptize them, how smart they are, how clever they are. And pride had led them to elevate human cleverness over the good news about Jesus. Their status and their wisdom had become something to boast about, just like the rest of the world, just like the opposite side, the, the other team. In short, the gospel's heart was being trampled by the feet of this humanistic in, in intellectualism. And the gospel message and the simplicity and the beauty of the cross had become second place. So let's look at what Paul's saying here, and I will explain this um, because I think why I think this is so important, and why, when we have a grasp of this, why this is so important to you and to me today. So Paul starts in verse 18 and he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And what Paul's saying here is something that's very true, even today. You, the, the, uh, would have been true in Corinth at the time, and that is the message concerning the crucifixion of Jesus and its benefits um, to believers. Frankly, to non-believers, think about all the people you meet and interact with in the world and all the people in Corinth in that time. Actually, to, to non-believers, the idea of the cross and the, and the power of the cross is a ludicrous idea. I mean, think about it, the notion of it, the, the belief that one man, one perfect man could die in, in the place of an innumerable amount of people and, uh, and, and all that sin, all that shame. And with that one sacrifice, the payment is made. It's all gone. And this applied, this is applied to everybody, freely to everybody who believes and puts their faith in Jesus. It was, a, it was about of a, a bizarre of an idea that, was a, that could ever be around in the first century. And, and it's still a bizarre idea today. And those who are non-believers would only see the cross, of, the cross of Jesus as a foolishness idea. Those who put their faith into that is a foolish idea. But those who are saved, those like you and me who are followers of Jesus... We understand that the power of the cross, it's a completely different thing. And think about your experiences today. How do you feel around your co-workers? How do you feel around your family who, who maybe aren't believers? And many people struggle to, to share the gospel. Man, I, I struggle to share the gospel message because of the, by the world standards, it's foolish. It's a silly story. And we can feel silly sharing it. We can feel at times stupid to share it. Sharing what we truly believe. 
And both the idea that the Son of God died in my place, but also the idea that, that this man who lived uh, in, in Israel 2,000 years ago, I've actually given up my life and died to myself in order to follow this man, this, this, this man that I believe is fully God. I mean, to think about that, no wonder the world thinks it's a silly thing. And actually the word used by Paul to describe how people are seen who followed Jesus in Corinth at the time, the word that he uses to describe them is, is um, the, the Greek word for, for uh, moria, or, or it was a word related to the word moros. And that's where we get the word from, which is moron. And, and from a world's perspective, which was true in Corinth and still today, you listen to the media, uh, you listen to so-called intellectuals, you, and their stance is still the same. Only a moron would believe the message of the cross and, and live a life of self-sacrifice in light of what the cross means. But for believers who have been delivered from a life of hopeless bondage to sin and choosing to, take, to pick up their cross and to follow Jesus, um, Paul rightly calls this, it's the power of God that's in that. And we can talk again and again all about the testimonies, all about the real lives that have been transformed by the message of the gospel and how it's been demonstrated through that cross. And then we see Paul back up what he's saying in this message about the cross um, with, with a reference to the Old Testament. He alludes to Isaiah 29, 14, where, where, he, where Isaiah speaks these words. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. It's this beautiful, poetic uh, words from Isaiah that he's speaking on behalf of God. So the context around this verse that we read from Isaiah is really important to what Paul's, um, keep, Paul's alluding to here. And that is that Isaiah is speaking to this struggling northern kingdom of Israel. And they're caught in this trap. Uh, there's the general of the Assyrian army. He's poised almost like a, like a rattlesnake, just coiled and ready to strike at any, any moment. And the people of Israel, they're convinced that this merciless enemy was about to destroy them, about to wipe them off the face of the earth. And they're stuck in this dilemma with a question to follow, either to follow the wisdom of, of, hum, of humans and of, and of man, or they could listen to God's calling through his prophet Isaiah. And rather than respond to God's call to repent and to, to her, turn to God for supernatural deliverance from the situation, Israel instead chose to follow human wisdom of politicians who basically said, hey, like we need to align ourselves with Egypt. They're the, they're the closest nearby superpower with enough military aid to defend us against the Assyrians. And, and they basically said, forget this religious obsession with re repentance and holiness. And instead of, instead of uh, they relied on human force, human wisdom, and human power. And Israel, actually what they do is they compromise, not for the first time, the, the relationship and the calling that they had from God to be different from all other nations around them. To de they were called to depend on God rather than the things and the men and the wisdom of this world. 
And you can read for yourself in, in King 17 all about that, how that went down for them. And you can guess it wasn't good. They had to pay the price for their decision. And Paul, by alluding to this passage in Isaiah, he's reminding the Corinthians that God's plans and methods may look foolish to the world, but it, but it is not about looking clever or intellectual. In fact, he says, even the foolishness of God, even the, the remnants of God's thoughts, even the, God at his worst is still so much wiser than human wisdom. That's verse 25. There's a real beauty in the simplicity of the gospel. The world may call it moronic, but it, it, it is the power of God for salvation. And it is the only key to an abundant life. I'm going to show you a picture now. And it's a picture that I think does a really good job of, of showing the simplicity of what we believe as a gospel message. On one side, we have a man. And on the other side, we have God. And in the middle is this gulf. Right? We describe this gulf as sin, the thing that separates us from God. At the bottom of this hole, the picture that you're seeing is, is a ladder, and it shows, it shows how humans try to get across on their own with good works, with charity, church attendance, morality, philosophy, spirituality, even academia. Like people try and you know, outsmart themselves to get there. And these are all humanistic attempts to bridge the gap between God and man. But then in the middle is this large cross and it's shown as a bridge and there's a man on top of this bridge and he's walking across and it's by faith in Jesus alone. Faith, it, faith in his death and resurrection. And that's it. That is the simplicity and the beauty of what we believe but I can't tell you how many people I've shared that image with, how many people I've, I've explained that image to, and, and they've laughed at me as I've shared that message. Intellectuals have laughed at me, drug users have laughed at me, prostitutes have laughed at me, factory workers have laughed at me. These are just to name a few people that have laughed at me when I've shared the, the gospel message with them. And let's admit, admit it to each other. When we experience that, when we experience feeling stupid, for what we're sharing and, and people talk, talking to us and saying, wow, you must be so stupid to believe that. How could you believe that? When we get those reactions, we can shy away from sharing the good news of the gospel, of the, of the fact that Jesus has actually really changed my life. We need to remember that this cultured, intellectual criticisms of Christians have been round since the early days of the church. But that's what makes the gospel so beautiful. Because the gospel is simple, you see, for everybody. And despite the criticisms, there are still millions upon millions upon millions of people who hear the gospel message and respond to the name of Jesus. Because the gospel message, regardless of age, of nationality, of education, of background, of race, it is simple for you to understand. But not just understand, more importantly, to accept the gospel message. And, and, and regardless 
you know, of what's going on. The church has received this feedback right from the beginning and persecution right from the beginning and people calling us stupid right from the beginning and people saying that we don't know what we're talking about right from the beginning. And that's still today. The media will continually look down on us. Co-workers will continue to laugh at us and family will continue to make jokes about us. But that should not and does not change our approach. We stand firm in the simple gospel message. God will one day destroy the wisdom of the wise. That's what, he, that's what he says. But in the meantime, we must choose to, be, to, to refuse to be ashamed of the gospel. All of us who follow Jesus have experienced that life-changing power that it brings. And for that reason, we can't stay quiet, church. We've got to be open and willing to share to die to ourselves and actually to say, I don't care what you think of me because you need to hear the good news because it's changed my life and it can change your life too. And I want to encourage each and every one of us this morning, myself included, trust me, this preach is for me, to renew our commitment in being bold and in being confident in this beautiful, simple message of the cross. We'll finish with the scripture, Ephesians 6, 19. Paul says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, my words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. When was the last time you shared the simple gospel to your friends, to your neighbors, to your family, even for some of you, to your spouses, to your children? We're called to fearlessly speak about it to tell the good news of Jesus, how it's so simple to understand and to accept, how we don't need to work at anything, we just need to accept the good news.